Hello and welcome to the Euro What, episode number 57 for the week of July 15, 2019. I'm Mike McComb and I'm joined today by Ben Smith. Hey Ben. Hi Mike. We are a pair of Americans trying to make sense of the Eurovision Song Contest. And this week, we're continuing our gut rehab project by talking about Spain and Germany as big five countries. How's it going, Ben? Uh, it's good. How are you? Doing well, doing well. I guess in terms of news, how many cities are there in the Netherlands? We are currently at five submitted bids. Five bid books were, were submitted. Uh, the, right. the cities on the list are Arnhem, Den Bosch, Maastricht, Rotterdam, and Utrecht. Uh, and there were a variety of, of presentations and, and levels of presentation that I found very intriguing. I don't know if you did. Yeah, it seemed like it was a real um, mixed bag is not the way I want to describe it, but uh, a lot of options presented. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So a lot of options, a lot of a lot of different takes on what a Dutch Eurovision 2020 looks like. Mm-hmm. So amongst those bids, Arnhem has mentioned that their their soccer team is fine with them taking over the stadium and moving if they need the if they need the venue. On the other hand, you also have Utrecht who submitted a very bare bones bid. Uh, just like, yeah, we're going to set up a giant tent and we're going to give you no additional money. Uh, welcome to our city. That feels very millennial, very like, oh, we'll just gig economy the entire Eurovision Song Contest. <laughs> Surely there wouldn't be any problems with that. Yeah, well, I mean, also just like, you know, sometimes you get midway through something that you're working on and you just kind of go, I'm not into this anymore, but you do need to submit it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's like, OK, cool. We have we have checked off all of the boxes and we have done nothing else. Yes. <laughs> Here is my B minus paper. See ya. So, yeah. No. <laughs> yeah, here's my B minus paper. I'm going to go take a nap. There we go. On the other side of things, the most likely candidates, it seems like, where you don't have to like relocate a soccer team and you're also not in just a big bare bones tent, uh, are Maastricht and Rotterdam. Uh, Den Bosch is, you know, Den Bosch is in the mix, but they're also kind of. I think they're probably lower on the list of the five bids. Really shortly after the bid books were submitted, uh, there were reports that, oh, the five are down to three, and the two finalists are going to be announced probably minutes after this podcast goes live. Let's be that's real. That, so news works. <laughs> I think all eyes are on Maastricht and Rotterdam at this point. Yeah, I, w- I would agree with you. Uh, Maastricht uh, had like a whole come closer theme. That since they are, they're like one of the places where it's like, remind me of the, the Treaty of Maastricht, Mike. That was the treaty that kind of formalized the European Union and established the Eurozone concept. The European Union as an, as an idea had been kicking around since the 1950s, but this was the agreement that was just like, all right, let's formalize this. Okay, yeah, well, yeah, so like their, their whole come closer theme definitely feels like a good kind of unity theme. Mm-hmm. Given given the political climate, just sort of like, yes, we're friends, 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 and Brexit probably being a thing, and yeah. uh, and it's also the sixty fifth Eurovision, so like it feels like they will probably want to do something a little bit bigger, like as just a five year milestone. What's about to just as as members of a society that values numbers that end in a zero or or a five for weird reasons Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so i would not be surprised about that although rotterdam also seems like a pretty viable option they hosted junior eurovision back in 2007 so like they already have they already have some street cred uh i'm not sure if maastricht has uh previously hosted 
Right. I think past past Eurovisions have been hosted either in like the Hague or Amsterdam, both of which are either running at this point. Right. Yeah. Uh, I was surprised. Well, not completely surprised that Amsterdam dropped out because they were it seemed pretty early on. They're just like, we don't really want to host it, but we'll submit a bid anyway. They dropped out right before the bid books yeah, uh, my, were to be delivered. Well, and like my understanding of this, to use a phrase that the kids use, is that they were booked and busy. So all right. So there, there were there was like a lot happening in Amsterdam in May, as it turns out, and they did not need to add one more thing to their schedule and try to figure out who got what venue. I'm guessing they don't have space to build a giant tent. I'm ha- having been in Amsterdam. No, not really. It's okay. It, it, yeah, as we said, we will probably know the two finalists. Uh, let's see. This goes live at six p.m. ish Eastern, so six oh five, six ten, maybe. If, the, yeah, if they're being like nice, that. so, so yeah. yeah. <laughs> I like it. I like at this point that we're just sort of daring Eurovision to announce news. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, it it gets the ball rolling. It's, it's a service we are providing to you, dear listener. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> <laughs> and and in return, we're just asking for a nomination for the podcast awards. Exactly. So. <laughs> we have very and, simple demands. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Uh, as as we mentioned in the last episode, the nomination phase for the podcast awards uh, is. Uh, now live. Uh, I did give the wrong date in the last episode. I said that the nominations are open until like mid-August. That is not the case. Nominations are due by July 31st. Yeah, if you have a moment, we have a link in our show notes. Uh, if you just click on that, you can go to the nomination page. We are in the People's Choice and the Music categories. So if you're enjoying this podcast, we would love uh, a little bit of support in this. Yeah, that would yeah, be yeah, awesome. Like, yeah, please so. send your appreciation the podcast awards way. I guess that's all there is with that. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> give us love, please. Uh, <laughs> by love, we mean votes in that sweet, sweet ballot box. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, a couple weeks ago, we kicked off our fun July gut renovation project. Things are going well. The new drywall is up. And we, we have two more nations to discuss after talking about how great Italy's doing. Don't change a thing, sweetie. Yeah, uh, I mean, we didn't get any sort of feedback about Italy, so I'm just assuming that everything we said was correct, and uh, we're all in agreement here. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm guessing Spain and Germany may may prove to be uh, controversial or shruggy. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> some some form of a shrug. But uh, yeah, so we'll start off with Spain. They've had a very complicated history with Eurovision. Uh, before the Big Five distinction came about in 2000, they had 39 participations. There were two wins in there, 1968, and they were part of the four-way tie in 1969. They've had four last-place finishes in that tenure, uh, three of them with Nil Poix. Once the Big Five distinction came about, their best finish was in 2001, where they came in sixth place. They finished in last place uh, in 2017. They've had six top tens, but they've had more than half of their 20 participations finish in 20th place or worse. So of the 59 appearances that they've had at Eurovision, only one song has had no Spanish whatsoever. Uh, That was 2016's entry, Say Yay. And only eight songs of theirs have had any non-Spanish lyrics. So... I thought that was kind of interesting. Like they they are dead set on presenting Spanish at Eurovision, which I think is kind of cool. Yeah, I like that. That is, you know, that's one of the major languages over there that I appreciate that they uh, they commit to the bit. Mm-hmm. What's working for them as a big five country when they send? Well, 
go yeah. go ahead go ahead yeah like that that was yeah because i tried to do this similar to what we did with italy last time and it was really hard to do for spain yeah not a lot's been working for them i mean like more than half of their entries just aren't cutting it but when they've sent dramatic female ballads uh like Kedite Domingo, i'm going to sorry i should i should have apologized for the way i'm going to butcher all of this spanish uh that is going to fall out of my mouth 2012's entry Kedite Conmigo, that finished in 10th place and then dancing in the rain also finished in 10th place in 2014 it sort of works i mean it did get them into the top 10 but just barely so yeah i'm not i'm not sure what to make of that yeah and both of those years are before we had the the jury televoter split mm-hmm. where we just got the that one set of numbers so i don't know if that means that those songs are really resonating with the juries or the televoters or what yeah i mean i suspect dancing in the well I do remember both of those entries had quite a bit of buzz around them. I remember in 2012, uh, Kedite was being tossed around as a possible contender. I mean, granted that I'd have to go up against Euphoria and the Russian grannies. And yeah, uh, yeah, I, I, I did not fully believe that hype. And then Dancing in the Rain by Ruth Lorenzo, she was coming off of UK X Factor. So she had that draw. But I mean, that didn't really work for Sarah Alto, didn't really work for Jedward. I'm sure it boosted them a little bit, but not like certainly not a way to say, oh, they're going to win. Yeah, so. it, it gives like a little bit of brand name recognition going into the contest, but like mm-hmm. that doesn't that can't get you all the way there. Exactly. So, yeah, I guess in terms of what else is not working for them, trying to go up tempo or at least up tempo by Spain standards. Their BPMs are on the lower side. They're a very leisurely nation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Say Yay from 2016 was probably the most up-tempo that finished in 22nd place. Although that, that entry had a number of other issues with it. Like, I, I feel like the sort of pre-presentation of that entry just didn't really work. I was re-watching the music video over the weekend, and the choreography in that video, it's all about, like, this weird sort of pigeon-toe dancing thing like it, it's it's yeah, very like the, low the, maintenance the video but... <laughs> is just very dance focused yeah but it's just as part of the story her falling down and then getting up again and they did the same thing at eurovision uh for the live performance and i think a lot of people just thought oh no she fell down and like didn't realize it was actually part of the performance uh mm-hmm. <laughs> so and sort like, of what happened with the blackout last uh last year uh yeah, entry, yeah where just, like, hey, well that performance is not alone in like spain having issues with their performance because in 2010 like daniel diges and during algo pecanito they were like early in the running order Mm -hmm. and like somebody jumped on stage with them and then they had to they they reperformed at the end of the running right but the person who stormed the stage did kind of blend in with the performance in a way where it's just like this is part of it right (laughs) yeah like it it was it was very well choreographed from the stage jumper's point of view uh even though like if you count the people on stage i think he was number seven so it's like oh wait no this isn't right but (laughs) yeah in doing my research for this week i did not remember a dang thing about their 2013 entry contigo hostile final yeah i like i i remember it as an entry but if you told me like if you asked me oh what year was that entry i just would have been like "Ooh, i'll have to do a process of elimination and i still probably would have been either a year or two off so 
I mean, I rewatched yeah. the video today and it is, it's a fun trip and there's like a horse and mountains and just a bunch of things that like immediately flew out of my head. I think that maybe one of the problems is the, the songs don't have strong hooks. And I don't know if that's just a standard part of Spanish pop songwriting or like if that's just like an unfortunate coincidence for Eurovision entries. Yeah, and like no, I would totally agree with you that like a lot of these these entries, like even say yay, even uh, thinking about 2015's Amanecer, which had like a to- which also had like a kind of bonkers music video, mm-hmm. is that I don't remember the songs. Yeah, that part is tricky. And then when they do have hype to work with, and granted, we're the examples that I'm about to cite are pretty recent. Like they're just not capitalizing on it. Like no, like two cancion. People were really excited about that song, and that that was one of my favorite memories from my trip to Lisbon. Was we I, we were riding to the venue for I think it was one of the semifinals, and there was a uh, huge contingent from Spain uh, also going to the venue, and they just started singing the song, and it was just really cool. Like everybody was really into it and really excited about it, and then you get to the actual performance, and there's just it's just a vacuum of yeah like the votes were not there and like i mean i feel like the internet was mostly just wanted to like uh bang the two singers together and make them kiss yeah i get it like i got the hype there uh but but yeah like i just feel like they had like potential for a lot of fandom around around the song and a lot of momentum behind it and did nothing with it this year like la venda they had like a song that had a bunch of buzz behind it when it got announced, and then they uh, rearranged it, and it I did not like the rearrangement as much. What happened with Lavenda kind of reminds me of what happened with Bulgaria's 2013 entry, Samos Championi, mm-hmm. where I loved that entry and like just the drums of it and just the kind of raw energy of it. Mm-hmm. But then when you saw the performance on stage, it was just like, oh they kept futzing with it and futzing with it. And it was just so overproduced at that point that something that I thought was going to be a shoe in going into uh, the semifinals, like after watching the performance, it'd be like, Ooh, that there, there's a lot of problems there. And yeah. Well, yeah and and then, like with Lavenda, like the, per- the national final performance was simple and was great. And was something they could have easily reproduced no matter what the stage was going to look like in Tel Aviv. Mm hmm. And then for Tel Aviv, they decided, okay, no, we need like a weird life-size dollhouse, yeah, and with like a, a weird, weird life-size and, and, and doll, a weird creepy puppet, <laughs> and like no, just like stick him with some people who are miming playing some of the instruments and just running around that stage, and it would have been fine. Mm-hmm. Bring back the horns. Uh, that that song needed a horn section. And yeah. going back to the Bulgaria thing, like af- after 2013, Bulgaria took a couple years off figured some stuff out and then came back in 2016 and uh, finished in fourth place followed by a second place finish and i'm wondering if that might be something that spain should consider or would consider like i i don't i don't know if like taking a year off or two years off is realistic just because i mean spain is very into eurovision like there's a lot of enthusiasm mm-hmm. behind it so and it seems like they have the budget to participate even with these lackluster results yeah like i wonder if if it might be a case where they need to just add some new blood to their production team behind the seeds that's running this mm. because it does feel like they, they're they're trying new things like they're mm-hmm. doing say yay they're doing they're they are incorporating little bits of english here and there they're trying to 
they're trying to listen you know they're they're trying to apply the the feedback they're getting which is that this is not working but i'm wondering if they need like completely fresh perspective behind the scenes that might be it because yeah it, it seems like this past decade they've tried just about every single permutation of what you can do like they've done internal selections they've done operation triunfo they've done it solely selected by juries they've done it where it's solely selected by audience they've like tried every single selection method and Mm -hmm. none of them are working (laughs) and yeah and like up until this year i would pretty much write spain off no matter what and this was like the first year that i was really excited for spain's entry and to have it come in 22nd place when really could have finished better and i like i want to help you but i don't even know where to begin exactly Uh, yeah like a couple years ago with do it for your lover i'm like yeah no no thank you i do not want this but like i (laughs) really dug lavenda and like what it was trying to say lyrically Mm -hmm. but there was just so much kind of they 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 overcomplicated things in a way that they didn't have to even with their selection process it was kind of a convoluted way of going about it where it's just like okay we're gonna have like 17 songs and the audience is going to vote on three and then the producers will pick seven and then they'll perform all of them and like the one who was the favorite to win kind of tanked it uh rumor has it that nobody really wanted to go to tel aviv which i don't fully believe because uh i don't think mickey would have been as enthusiastic in that performance if he didn't if if he didn't want to go to eurovision so Mm -hmm. yeah it's really tough again the energy is there but just like the execution they, they need to like, stop running out of gas like two weeks before the contest mm-hmm. starts. Maybe they just need to start two weeks later. And... Yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> just... You don't want to be like those marathoners who like crash right before the finish line. Like, it's yeah, just, right. Like, at, like, yeah, you uh... don't want to be that person in the Boston Marathon who crashes out during the Miracle Mile. Ugh. Yeah, so. We're, Sorry, we're not the Miracle Mile. Heartbreak Spain. Hill. Oh, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> in, in case you didn't know this, I run a Eurovision podcast instead of paying attention to sports. Well, yeah. <laughs> All right. Any any other thoughts on Spain? I think that does it. And like thinking about just how they're kind of making things a little too complicated for themselves leads nicely into talking about Germany. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about some history of Germany in the Eurovision Song Contest. So they have participated every year in except 1996 because they placed last in 1995 and at that point that meant that you did not get to come back the, the following year you had to take a year off they've won in 1982 and 2010 they are the only big five country to win since the distinction of the big five came to pass in 2000 let's see so as far as coming in last place they have been in last four times pre big five two of those times with zero points and they've also been in last two times post big five one of those with no point. Uh, their entries have primarily been in English since 2001. They, they've tried a lot of different stuff, so it doesn't surprise me that, that they've kept the English part consistent. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we look at what has worked for them, like I couldn't really find like a unifying fact, because you have when they won with, with Lena's Satellite, which that, one, that one's fun. That one has a sense of fun to it. And like, I, I think when they've not tried to match like what you think of as like a stereotypical Eurovision song, they've done well. But, like, when you look at what doesn't work for them, uh, it is just sort of a lot of, like, trend chasing and a lot of throwing stuff at the wall to see what will stick. And, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. not a lot of it has. So, like, the first year I watched the contest, uh, their entry was No Angels with the song Disappear. And that felt, like, very kind of generic chart pop. And it made sense to me. And, like, it felt like a couple years out of date, Mm -hmm. too. 
<laughs> which would be ahead of its time in Eurovision years. So. Yes. <laughs> Fair. Um, but but yeah, they followed that up in, in Moscow with Alex Swing's Oscar Sings, which, oh boy, that was... That, no, that felt like no, that felt like rock no. bottom for me. <laughs> uh, yeah, like 2009, I I did not enjoy that contest. Uh, that that was one that I went back to. My my first contest was 2010, but uh, I I found a video on YouTube of the full 2009 contest, and that was a real slog at times. But yeah, that entry was just so off-putting and it includes one of my least favorite phrases ladies and gentlemen miss dita von Teese. <laughs> it's just like oh man what like yeah like, it's, it's just like please enjoy this distraction yeah just like just when you were, yeah stage. when you have brought dita von Teese to also be on the stage to distract from your actual entry something has gone wrong uh, yeah <laughs> so uh i mean in fairness like that that did slightly better for them so in 2008 they placed in 23rd with 14 points uh w- w- once they threw dito Bontes up there uh they placed in 20th uh with with almost almost double the amount of points 35 bully for them uh yeah <laughs> yeah uh and again like by 2010 they figured it out i don't know if there's like a, a regime change in the background or whatever but yeah lena comes in with the song satellite uh sweeps it gets gets the win uh and they do something that that felt very smart to me in in hindsight uh is that they immediately say yes lena is going to be our entry next year and like yeah. that that second song like i don't love it as much as i love satellite but it's still it's still good and like it's still they still place in the top 10 they were they were 10th that year which i think is a respectable position to be in if you're the host nation i think that's mostly due to stefan rob's influence where he, he was head of the delegation at that point and uh producing the contest and he also hosted he was one of the three hosts for the 2011 contest and he understands the level of seriousness to apply to Eurovision. Like he, he knew it was fun and that it's serious enough, just that there's like tourism on the line and pop music and that there are fans that take this thing very seriously. But in the grand scheme of things, it's still fluff. And, and he, he was able to strike that balance. And I think working with Lena was the perfect way of kind of, maximizing the fluff potential while still delivering a solid pop song before they start kind of overcomplicating their national finals they did sort of finish things out with cascada back when they did they still had like a national final process but it was a little bit simpler mm-hmm. but you know they finished things out with cascada and she did she did her own take on euphoria and it was fine it's very nice mm. then to give her like, a little career boost <laughs> i, I know, enjoy like, cascada I but yeah, yeah but, like that that look, song was dreadful <laughs> Look, I remember 2007, and we all loved Every Time We Touch. Every, mm. It was everywhere, every high school graduation party. But it's a different time now. Yeah. And it was a different time in 2013. She has a really good cover of Last Christmas. I, I, I will give her that. So, <laughs> Starting in 2014, it just feels like uh, they keep finding new and innovative ways to make Unser song for Insert Name of City here overly complicated. So 2014 and 2015 use the same format. And like 2015's entry... Actually, no, let me, let's talk about 2014 first. So 2014, the first product of this is Eliza with Is It Right? Uh, I actually love the story of Eliza started coming in and winning, essentially winning like the contest to be like the wild card entry and then ending up winning the whole thing. 
Mm-hmm. But but again, like the fact that you have like on top of your contest, you have another contest that can kind of throw things out of whack. Right. That kind of dilutes your voting pool. It means that not everybody is going to be behind it. It's going to be is going to want to like spread the word about it. Right. And so like that one did that one did respectively. It placed in 18th. Uh, but then again, like they do the same process in 2015. And the winner of the 2015 song for withdraws on live tv moments after winning yeah which is just kind of like i i still don't know how to process that yeah, like, that, like, that, why that, that would is you like your ultimate nightmare thing. scenario as a tv producer of an event like that it's just like okay cool the winner doesn't want to be the winner yeah and and he was also like the overwhelming winner yeah thanks but no thanks bye yeah <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you just got to kind of feel for Anne Sophie at that point. Just a roller coaster of emotion, I, I would have to imagine. Then she didn't do like like that song got is like their nul point. Mm-hmm. That song which is, is their nul point, and like, which is hilarious because they were not the only nul point that year, and only ended up in last because of like rules. Right. Yeah. Because like the tiebreaker at that point is running order, and so whoever is first in the running order ranks higher so uh yeah that that was unfortunate and and i don't think that song is that bad i just think that she was pretty much abandoned by her delegation and she also was just not media savvy at all like she was asked questions in german and was completely dumbstruck by them and she's like you're the German representative. It's like, I live in Brooklyn. <laughs> and it's like, oh, no. But, well, yeah. And like, again, like, I, I took the time to quickly look up, like, in the in the gold final of, of the 2015 Song for Austria, mm-hmm. the winner had, like, 78% of the televote. Oh, jeez. Yeah. So, like, to come out of that process with, like, slightly over 20% of the vote is not the biggest confidence booster. And just, like, the fact that, that the, the delegation just kind of seemed to drop out on it. Mm-hmm. probably did not help his chances yeah uh so the next year they come back and they're like okay cool this isn't this isn't working like we thought it was going to do we have internally selected an artist and then what happened was everybody found their bad tweets and their bad opinions that they had been very loud about in the media and two days later they're like just kidding uh we are going to have a national final and then they had to scramble to have a national final that was such a colossal failure it's like wow did you not do any vetting before yeah, this is making literally the base level of just pop this person's name into Google. I liked their entry that year. Like I didn't think it was <laughs> terrible. Like I thought the song itself was good. I thought that the the artist. I thought that Jamie Lee's insistence on her whole Japanese kawaii decora k sort of a thing needing to be in the final performance was maybe a misstep. But the song itself, like I I liked the emotion behind it. I just could not get behind Sailor Deutschland and. And the fact that the, that the performance also included moon imagery did not dissuade me of that description. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. Like the state, what was going on on the stage didn't match what was going on with her outfit. No. And also, it was not a great vocal performance. So there was just a lot going on there that was not great. So they end up in last place again, mm-hmm. which which is no one's favorite. So uh, then they're just like, okay, cool. We're bringing the national final back, and we're going to add another layer of convoluted rules on top of it uh luckily that time they don't have to deal with their their winner dropping out after winning but uh lavina's perfect life i did not love that song like it felt very generic it felt like it felt like a derivative of like sia it felt like it felt like a song that sia should be singing 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it was it was a titanium clone, but just just to get into how convoluted it is, uh, just because it's a different type of convoluted. Yes, than please explain the different type of convoluted. Okay, there. so in the first round, they had five contestants, and they all sang a cover of a pop song. The audience voted, and the three with the highest votes moved on to round two. In round two, they performed, uh, and there were also two songs that were up for consideration. It was Perfect Life and Wildfire, I think was the second one. The three contestants performed uh, Perfect Life. Audience voted again, and the top two moved on to round three. In round three, uh, the two contestants sang the other song, and then the audience voted on the four combinations of songs so singer a song one singer b song one singer a song two singer b song two audience voted the top two of those moved on to another round of, of, of voting, you have it, of voting. He, everyone has performed all of the songs yeah Just pick uh, which one of those yeah well and that's that's the part where it gets really weird because in the round three voting uh lavinia uh Lavinia's version of each song uh, were the top two. In that round of voting, Wildfire had like 150,000 votes, and then uh, Perfect Life had significantly less than that. When it got to the last round of voting, which I'm not sure if she performed both songs again or if they just went straight to voting, but in the second round of voting, the results flipped, which makes no sense to me. Like what? What changed? Were like a hundred thousand people Levina performing both of these songs in round three, and Lavina performing both of these songs in round four. Yeah, like how did a hundred thousand votes switch? And I, I think part of it might people just being like, "What? I've got to vote again? What's going on?" Or I don't know what happened there, but like that was just such a bonkers format, and just so. Like j- just me describing it feels super tedious. So I remember watching it. It felt very tedious, but I don't know. Like it's, I, I think Germany might be confusing thoroughness with being convoluted. Like, yeah, is, <laughs> like that, if, yes, if this yes, were stretched we... out as like a six-week process, it might work. But trying to confine it to a two-hour, two and a half-hour national final—that's not how you vet a song or a singer. Yeah, so again, that that sort of covers like the the three years in like the wilderness for them, and then they come back mm-hmm. in 2018 with Michael Schulte's uh, "You Let Me Walk Alone." That places fourth for reasons I do not understand or care to understand. It, it was fine. It was fine. Yeah, I mean, it, it like we we are both on record from last year's podcast uh, uh, of our opinions of this song, but yes. like look, looking over the data. There seemed to be a fair amount of consensus uh, with like the way that the voting shook out, because the way the process works for last year and this year, it's a hundred person jury and a separate panel of experts and the televote. There might be a fourth metric in there, I don't recall, but I believe he won or came in top two for all relevant metrics. So it's just like, all right, that's a consensus winner, whereas this year's entry did not have that level of consensus although i do love that they just start off that 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 sisters esters sorry um yeah 
it's it's an exclamation point, not an I. That's just how pronunciation right. works. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just leading things off with I'm tired, just big mood. Yeah, yeah. And like just the fact that like they were a late addition after. Oh, yeah, like, uh, yeah. But yeah, like Germany just loves to find new ways to, to make things convoluted. So like they had a bunch of entries for, for Unser Lied, for Tel Aviv, for sorry, for Israel. And uh, then like added sisters at the last minute and then they won. I th- and I think I said this when we were talking about it initially, I think it was the best entry. I know a, a number of people were really excited about, uh, I believe her name is Allie Ryan's entry. I don't recall what that song sounded like, but I do kind of recall that the performance was not great. It was something that probably could have been improved between the national final and like actually having to perform it at Eurovision. But when you're number one out of a very liquidy field, like that's not going to do much like yeah lo- it, looking at the results from from their national final uh ally ryan's where your love was number one with the eurovision panel but it mm-hmm. but sisters was number one with the international jury and the televote right and with the international jury they won by one point for uh, ahead of a, a third entry so like there just yeah, was so- not not consensus on what is working yeah they're there and i think that that talks that speaks to a lot of the problem that germany has is that they have found ways to make their their national final incredibly convoluted so that whoever ends up winning has a smaller piece of of the the consensus mm-hmm. than i think they need to really have support behind them and do well yeah their instinct to go internal in 2016 was the correct one but they just need to do a better job of figuring out who that internal selection is and actually follow through with that internal selection process. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. So, well, in the year that they were going to do an internal selection, they were going to pick the artist and then let people pick the song. And I think that mm-hmm. would be a smart strategy for them. Yeah, because that's what they did in 2011. Like, even though it was Lena performing like as a returning artist, she did present uh, a set of songs that people voted on. Yeah, and like so. I feel like their their instincts in choosing artists are not, at least in the last five years, have not been bad. No, no, it's just they're the songs that they're bringing. Either they're bringing more than one song, uh, which I think was the case in 2014. Like everybody brought two songs, and then it got whittled down, and then you had the wild card and all of that. But they're really into the idea of watering things down, and that's just not going to create something solid. Exactly, it doesn't create a strong winner. Yeah, when when they do things that way, I. But yeah, like I would love to see them do an internal selection. And mm-hmm. uh, and again, like open up the the song selection. Pick, pick an artist where they can do three or four songs that that feel tailored to them, and then let the audience pick which one feels strongest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's not like Germany has a weak music scene. Like I I think they have a lot to choose from. And so the year that Cascada did, it, there was another. Uh, I'm trying to remember the the name of the artist, but there was a oh, Blitz Kids movement. There we go. Mm-hmm. That, like the year that she won, uh, they had like a couple other very strong entries, and they had this this group called Blitzkid Movement, where the song that they submitted, "Hard on the Line," felt very German and had like a very nice propulsive energy, and would have been a great alternative. Mm-hmm. So they do have very strong pop music scene. They do have a lot of interesting things. Like you have like a whole techno scene in Berlin that's doing really interesting things with, with electronica. There's a lot there. There is there's a lot of like national stuff they can pull on, instead of just trying to like chase after trends or have a convoluted national final. 
I think Germany has the ingredients. They just don't have the recipe yet. And yes. yeah, they just need to get that recipe, look at a couple of cookbooks, figure this out. So <laughs> exactly. I think that's going to do it for this episode of the EuroWhat. Thank you for listening. The EuroWhat podcast is hosted by Mike McComb. That's me and Ben Smith. That's me. You can find us on our website at EuroWhat.com and on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at EuroWhat. We'd love to hear your questions and comments. Do you agree with our assessments? What suggestions do you have for Spain and Germany, or are they beyond help? You can subscribe to the EuroWhat on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or the podcast app of your choice. Rating and reviewing the podcast when you subscribe also helps other Eurovision fans find us. We'll be back in two weeks talking about France and the United Kingdom. Uh-huh.